if you do not know, I was, um, I want to ask you a question before we get started. And the question is this, are we more or less committed than we have been? I just want you to just think about that question um, because I don't know what the right answer is. But I do know you can look at certain elements of society and maybe start to ask this question. The reason I've asked this question because um, I'm a sports guy, okay, and I do like cars as well, but I'm really bent to sports. Um, I was born in Oregon, uh, in Portland, and moved down to California when I was in third grade. And as we moved down to, into third uh, third grade, um, you know, I really, uh, my favorite sport is basketball. And of course, you can understand who I like. I like the Lakers, okay. And the greatest thing about the Lakers was when I was growing up in the 80s, they were a dominant team. And you might have heard of some of these names. You maybe heard of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You maybe have heard of Magic Johnson. And they had a really, really good team. And what I noticed about that team was, here's the thing. Not only did they win, but they stayed with one team. It wasn't like they just switched teams all the time. So the, the reason I, I tell you that, because I felt like basketball was really great in the 80s and 90s. And I felt like because guys were kind of loyal to their team. They were loyal to the organization. And I, I look at kind of how basketball is today, and it's like guys just jump from team to team to team. And they, they just jump. And I mean, let's be honest, how many teams has LeBron James been? How many, how many teams has he been on? Four? Five? Okay, so I know it's a business. Look, I know it's a business. But what I understand about, about basketball is this, is these guys are making decisions, and they're committed to who? themselves. They're not really committed to the organizations because if you look back when basketball was, you all have heard of Michael Jordan, right? One of the greatest players ever. Now, you could tell me the team that Michael Jordan played for, Chicago Bulls. He didn't play for any other team. Even if you don't know that, you know he played for one team. It wasn't like he just went off. And so you had you had different guys who played back then were loyal to one team. Now it's like they're loyal to themselves. And you, you know, the reason why these guys jump from team to team is here's why. Two, two things. One, how much money can I get? I'm worth more money than what they're paying me here. And second of all, guys jump ship or they jump teams. And the reason why they do that is why? Because they want to win championships. Okay? So that, that's just sports. But let's, let's be honest. Let's look at life. Okay? Because not all of you are, are into sports. The one thing I think is, is, is look at politicians. Who are they committed to? See, I think one time they, it started out so well, and, and it's really subject to your opinion, but are they more or less committed to the cause that they were intended to years ago, or have they strayed from that? Now, did you know, too, that, that people are getting married later and later? Do you know the average age of women getting married in 2018 was 27? Do you know what the average age of men that were getting married in 2018 was 29? Now, the, the, the staggering statistic is this. Um, people who are from 18 to 34, right? In 1978, the percentage of people from 18 to 34 who were married was 59%. The percentage in 2018 was 26 or 27%. Now, not only that, but the other thing that's happening is, is people are moving in together and they're living together. It's not really about marriage. It's about, well, just we're going to move in together. Let's try this before we actually set the commitment. So in 1978, 
Okay. Actually, let's do this. In 2008, 2008, there was 12% of people living together. 2018, it's 15%. In 1978, it was 5%. So as you, you notice what is happening is people are, are kind of reluctant to put the ring on the finger. They're reluctant to be committed, aren't they? But let's, let's be honest. Whether they're more or less committed, people are committed to something. Think about all the, the social justice that has happened and arisen in the last few years. Right? The causes, the, the things that people are going for. They raise this awareness and their commitment to this particular goal, this, to, this particular issue, and they rally people around it. And it's like they're, they're committed more than ever on that. So I don't think the question is, are we more or less committed? You know what the question is? It's really, what are we devoted to? What are we devoted to? Not if I'm more or less committed, but what am I committed to in my life? And see, I think sometimes we're committed to the right things, and we're committed to the right issues, and there's other times we're committed to the wrong things and the wrong issues. Now think about it in terms of this. How many people are really devoted in their relationship to God? Because can I tell you what is, what is happening? There is Statistically, there's, there's a group of individuals who are on the rise. And they, they have no religious affiliation. And what they are doing is they are saying that we are nothing. We're, we're, you know, we're nothing. We're, we're, we're not a part of anything. We want to be something, but we're not something. We're, we're nothing. And you know what they call themselves? They call them the nuns. The nuns. They have no religious affiliation. So what you have to understand is we don't have a rise of atheists anymore who don't believe in God. We have a rise of nuns in our culture and the nuns are we don't affiliate to anything we don't want god church jesus people anything and here's what in his book it's called rising of the nuns and it's by james emery white and in his book here's what he says he says that they are the fastest growing religious group right now they are the second largest religious group he would say only to be eclipsed by catholics but you know who they outweigh they're bigger than Southern Baptists. This group right now on the rise out is bigger than Baptists, people who associate with that. Now, so you say all that, and, and really it's not what we're committed to, it's what we're devoted to. And what are, what are we devoted to? Because the thing that happens is, is devotion to someone or something is a decision we make. Right? And, and a devotion, what's going to happen is it determines your direction, and then what it determines your direction, it's ultimately going to get you to your destination. So the decisions you make now determine the course and the path you're on, which will lead to your direction. And we've talked about this over the last few months, the last few weeks, excuse me, and we've talked about this and we've seen this in the, in the book of Kings, haven't we? And, 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 and the Kings, see, because here's what we tend to think. We tend to think that decisions are for kids who are going to grow up and decisions, you know, that have their lives fully ahead of them. And as adults, it's kind of like, no, not really. But let's be honest. Decisions are important in every stage of life. And they were very important for kings, weren't they? Because kings made decisions not only for themselves, but for the entire nation that they were ruling. And we learned a couple things, right? We learned a couple things about these kings and the decisions they made. The first one was this, who are you listening to? Because all of us make advice or hear advice, and who are we heeding advice from? So who are you listening to? The second one we got to was what? That along with all that, one king learned that, God's way is the best way. 
And then last week we said that the most important thing that matters to God is obedience. And we saw when, when Saul was not obedient, he rejected, he was rejected by God. And obedience really matters. Well, now here's where we're coming. And we're going to look at another scripture in, in Kings. But here's, the, here's where I just want to lay it out for you so you understand before we dive into the scripture. David's kingdom is almost completely destroyed. And what I mean by that is, is King David had great success and, and, and God was with him. He followed God. Then you had Solomon. And then again, remember, we talked about Rehoboam who destroyed it. And so you have the northern kingdom. This will play a big part in what our story. Northern is Israel. Southern part is Judah. And so what, what Solomon knew and what David knew, their whole kingdom was no more. And now you have these kings who wouldn't like rule in for a long period of time. You know what you'd have? You'd have little glimpses and, and pictures of kings ruling for a certain amount of time, then they'd have a new king. And then they'd rule for a certain amount of time, and then they'd have a new king. And some of these kings, would it would be like David's whole rule. You'd have like all these kings, but David and Solomon ruled for such a long time. You don't have that anymore. So right now what, what has happened and, and where we're going to drop in our scripture is Rehoboam, who is Solomon's son, is dead. And his son takes over, and this is what the scripture says, that he did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And not only did what he did what was wrong, but it says he did not follow in the footsteps of King David. So he was, his heart was turned towards God. And that decision, right, determines your direction, but determines your destination. So it determined the direction of the nation, and ultimately, you know what happened? He ruled for a short period of time in the land of Judah. Once he died, then his son comes on. And the son is named Asa. And we'll talk about him. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to skip around in, in Chronicles. It's 2 Chronicles 14. And what you got to understand about Asa is he's different than his father. He's different than his father because here's why. He makes God a priority. Okay, so he makes God a priority. And here's what it says in verse 2 of 2 Chronicles 14. It says this. Asa did what was right, excuse me, did good and right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed the foreign altars in the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. So it says that he did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord as God. Now, what you have to understand is his decision was not just a decision that he just made. It was the decision of his heart. See, every decision you make, every action you have, everything that comes out of your mouth, is you don't have a mouth problem. You don't have a problem with your actions. You know what you have? You have a heart problem. And so everything that, that you do and that you say is centered around your heart. So when he begins to move and make God a priority, you know what it's coming from? It's coming from his heart. His heart is saying, I am devoted to God and I'm making God a priority. That God is number one. And he's trying to restore back a right relationship with these people. So as he begins to, to have this right relationship with God, do you know what he does? He tears down all the altars. And he tears down all the, the things that would bother in accord, uh, be a hindrance to God and his people in accordance with the first commandment. The first commandment is this. You shall have, you shall love the Lord God. Excuse me. You shall, you shall, yeah, right? You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But then also he says, you shall have no graven images before me. Now, when you, when you talk about that here, so he understands that and he needs to make them uh, into right relationships. So here's what he does. He understands that there's a key to God. Listen to this. There's a key to this whole thing with the idols. God is a jealous God. 
Now, I'm not saying God is like, he, he's completely jealous and he's after you. No, he's jealous in the sense that God wants your undivided attention and he wants your undivided devotion. That's why God says, don't have anything of God's before me. Don't have these things. So what he did was he tore those down because he knew that that hindered their relationship with God. Now, think about it for a moment. You're sitting here and you're going, well, how does that relate to me? Here's the question I want to ask you. Do you have idols? Do we have idols? Now, some of you are like, no, I don't have idols because, you know what, I don't have, you know, a graven image in my house. I don't, I don't do that stuff. And some of you say, well, I'm fully devoted to God. But here's how I would define an idol. Anything that is put and takes precedence above God. Anything in your life that takes precedence above God. See, if you really dive down to it, the question is, so do you have idols? Because you can go throughout your week, and maybe you go throughout your week, and you, and you figure out that the Lord's maybe not the biggest, highest priority. And maybe if you begin to look at your life, you begin to think, well, maybe there is something there. And if there is something there that is above God in your life, then maybe it needs to take a back seat. And maybe it needs to be removed. So not only did the Israelites have idols, and not only sometimes do we put things above God, but here's what he did. He realized how important it was. He destroyed every, every pole, every, smashed every stone. And the reason he did that is because they were being loyal to the Canaanite worship. It was a symbol of Canaanite fertility. And he wanted it gone, and he wanted it just destroyed. So what Asa did was he brought this religious change upon the place. Now, as he, as he brings this, here's, here's um, what, what's great with, with him. So he, he does all this stuff. And here's another thing he does. It's in 15, Chronicles 15, verse, um, where am I here? 16, okay? Second Chronicles 15, verse 16. So he has this reform. He brings this change, okay? But before he does that, can I tell you, um, here's, <clears throat> excuse me, here's what happens. King Asa also disposed his grandmother, Micaiah, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asa cut it down, broke it up, and buried it in the Kidron Valley. So now here's what I want you to stand. He got rid of not only the idols, but he got rid of his grandmother. Wow. Now, here's what you got to understand. She's the queen mother. And what that meant was she has power and she has prestige. She's a political icon and she's a religious icon. And so here's what I want you to, how important this is and what a big deal this is for him to get rid of his grandmother. The reason why he did this, okay? He got rid of her and be, they had this political and they had this the religious. But here's the thing. They outlived their, their husbands and they would outlive their sons and so what happened was anytime there become a new son the woman would be there at the coronation and what it would happen is the transfer of power from the late husband or the late son would be transferred through her to her son so she's got a amount of power amount of prestige so now she's hanging on rehoboam's done rehoboam's son's done is is, is dead now she's on to her grandson and she's living her power and her prestige through her grandson. But here's the thing. What is she doing? 
she's leading the people's hearts astray from God. So she begins to build this Asherah pole, and he's saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. I just got rid of idolatry. If you're going to start worshiping other gods and false gods, then I have to get rid of you. And he got rid of her. Now, look, look at what, what is so amazing here. And go back to, to, to 14, verse 4. Here's what happens, and here's what he does. In, in 14 of Chronicles, verse 4, he commanded, this is Asa, commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and obey the laws and the commands. Right? He removed the high places, the incense altars, and every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. Now, I say all that because here's what happened. He commanded the people to basically serve God. And if they were they had this idea that if you didn't serve God, here's what happened. They would put you to death. They had this this devout sat this devout to the king and his decision that he was turning the nation of Israel around and he was turning their hearts around. Their divided attention that was once is now undivided towards the Lord. And he turns them this direction. And so they begin to seek the Lord with all their hearts. And if you were not for him, then you were against him. But see, Esau, what he did was he began to seek God, right? He began to seek God. And, and, and what happened out of when he began to have this command, you know what happened? What did he get? He got blessing. You know what the blessing was? It was peace. The Lord gave him rest. The Lord gave him peace, right? It says in verse 6, he built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. And no one was at war with him during these years, for the Lord gave him rest. The blessing was peace. So when he gets rid of everything and he gets the people's hearts right and his heart right, you know what the Lord gives him? He gives him what every king wanted. It was peace. And you know what that was? That was a short-term goal. You know what every other king wanted? They wanted wealth. And that was the long-term goal because he set the people's hearts right and he got them towards that. God says, I'm going to give you blessing and that's my short-term blessing. But you know what else I'm going to give you, Asa? I'm going to give you wealth. And you're going to, be, you're going to, have, you're going to have wealth. But here's the thing. The wealth and the prestige that he had and that Israel and Judah had went beyond Asa. It went to the next two kings of Israel and to the two next kings of Judah. So it outlived him, the wealth and, and, the, and the notice of, of Israel and Judah, the prestige of all that, it went beyond Asa because he was committed to the Lord and he sought after the Lord. Well, as you know and I know, the peace doesn't, ha doesn't last very long. So the peace doesn't last long, and here's what happens is there's a, a, the Cushites begin to rise up against Asa, and there's no peace, and, and all of a sudden he's going, what in the world's going on? So Asa decides to, to do something, and he decides to seek the Lord with all of his heart. And, and he seeks him. And right before he goes into battle, okay, here's what it says in verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against you. And he cries out, and what Asa does is he understands where his victory lies, and he understands whom it lies in. So what he does is he understands that, that in order to get this, that he, where his control is, he needs to seek God and seek 
him in prayer, and that's what he does. And so he goes to battle, and he's victorious. Now here's the thing with him going to battle. See, most kings would do what? They would get all the mer- uh, military preparations and all this. What's the first thing he does? He seeks the will of God. He seeks God because he knows that victory is light in God. And so he, he goes, and, and you've got to understand this. He has a small army. He takes a small army and goes against this big, massive army against him. But here's what he knew. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so with that knowledge and seeking the Lord's faith, he went out and he was victorious and he defeated that enemy. He completely wiped him out. But here's what happened with Asa. Even though he started off so well, he failed in his later years. And so, again, another enemy rises up against him. And up in the north, the king of Israel comes down and he shuts off, he closes off the cities that in a certain area up there in his kingdom where no one could come in and no one could go out. So what does Asa do? Instead of seeking the Lord, he decides that I'm going to get all the treasury and all the gold and all the silver and I'm going to take it to the king of Aram, which is in the north, kind of Syria, Iraq area, and I'm going to give it to him and I'm going to tell him to break off his treaty with the king of Israel who is, who is oppressing me right now. And I want him to make a treaty with me. So that's what he does. And the king of Aram breaks off his treaty with the king of Israel and the king of Israel flips out and he releases his hand of oppression on him. He allows people to come in and back and all that stuff. And, and Asa thinks he's victorious. Well, guess who's upset? The Lord God Almighty. What in the world are you doing? So he gives this word to the seer and he goes to, to um, Asa. And here's what it says in chapter 16 of Second Chronicles. And it says it in verse 7. He says, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. So basically what he says is that you first and foremost took and sought the Lord your God and you knew where your victory stood and you knew where it stood for you and your army and you sought the Lord God with all your heart. And you decided to do it your own way and you decided that you could seek the help of somebody else instead of the Lord. So here's what the Lord is going to do for you. He is going to take his blessing off of your life. And you're going to be at war from now on. And you would think, see here's the thing, you would think Esau would learn. You would think he'd learn his lesson. But guess what? He doesn't learn his lesson. It says, too, that when he gets older, here's what happens. When he gets older, guess what happens? He gets a foot disease. And the scripture says, he does not turn to the Lord, but he turns to physicians. See, he doesn't turn to God who can heal him, as they would say in the Old Testament, you know, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. He doesn't turn to the God who can heal him, restore him, and take away his foot disease. He starts to lean on other stuff, and, and, his, and his attention is directed. His, his, his life is towards the physicians. What can you do for me? And he never gets healed. Because he didn't have, God didn't have his undivided attention or his devotion when he got older. But here's the, the, the amazing thing. The scripture says this, that even though he didn't take away all the high places, and even though he messed up, Here's what it says about Asa. He was a good leader, and his heart was fully 
committed to the Lord. And we don't understand that because God's the one that sees the heart and God sees whose attention he has and whose devotion your heart really has. But here's what Esau learned over the course of the period of time, and it's this, that God delights in a heart that is fully devoted to him. God is pleased with people who have a fully committed heart towards the God, that there is nothing that has their attention, there is nothing that has their devotion, but it is him and him alone. And see, the condition of your heart and the condition of my heart is so important to God that he mentions the heart in the Old Testament and he mentions the heart in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he says this, that everything that you do and everything you say comes from your heart. And and the writer in the Old Testament would say it is a wellspring of life, that everything flows from there. And what Jesus would say to the Pharisees, he would say, out of the mouth the heart speaks. So the condition of your heart is completely important to the Lord. And he was so much so that the writer back in in the Old Testament would say that it's so important that your heart and where your attention is and where your devotion is, it's so important that you need to guard it. And here's what happens. If you don't guard your heart, then all of a sudden your devotion and your attention is going to be somewhere else instead of on the Lord God Almighty. And what you got to understand is this, that where your energy goes, your heart goes. See, you have two valuable assets in your life. They're your time and then your money. Time and money are your most valuable assets. And if if I looked at your planner and I looked at your bank account, I could tell you what is important to you, what you deem important as an individual. See, so if you say that you want to be financial stable by a certain point in your life, then guess what? I'd go straight to your bank account. If you told me that family is the most important thing and that's the most important priority in my life, you know what I'd take a look at? I'd take a look at both your time and your bank account. And if you said relationships are the most important thing to me, you know what I would look at? I'd look at your week and say, who are you spending time with? Because your time is your most important thing. Here's here's the thing. If we went down and I sat down and I looked at your time and I looked at your money, can I tell you this? Would I be surprised if you were telling me something and your time and your money didn't line up with it? Would I be surprised? Maybe, maybe not. I can tell you who's not surprised. God. God's not surprised. See, sometimes we think we're fooling God and and where our attention is and where our devotion is. And God's like, no, I understand where it is. I just want you to change. You're saying one thing, you're doing another. I just want you to change. I'm a jealous God. I want your attention. I want your devotion. I want it right here. And something else has got it. See, God wants completely, he wants your heart fully committed to him. 100%. That's what he wants. And see, here's the thing. The, 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 the thing that, that some of us, if, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we see ourselves different than other people see us, don't we? Because we all have blind spots and we all have what? weaknesses don't we and it takes some some time for someone to point that out to you isn't it see we see ourselves differently than the way other people see us but here's what you got to do in order to see the way people see you you got to become self-aware of what your blind spots are and what your weaknesses are and and where you're failing and how people really see you because our perception of us and how we see ourselves is not the way others see us 
And the only way to get there is to be honest with yourself. Honesty will bring you to a place where you begin to change. Honesty will bring you to a place where you can make adjustments in your life and in your heart. So here's what I want to do as we, as we wrap this up. I want you to be honest with yourself, and I'm going to ask you three questions. But I want you to be honest with yourself. Okay? And as you go through these three questions, I want you to take inventory of your life, inventory of who you are, and where you are with God, so the Lord can make adjustments that is necessary that he wants for you. So here's the first question. First question is this. What has priority in your life? Or is God number one? Is he the number one priority in your life? I didn't say it right. Throw it up there on the screen, Luke. Is God the number one priority in your life? That's what I want you to say. Okay? Is God number one priority in your life? Now, I did this right here. This is your heart. Okay? And first and foremost, if you were to say God is number one priority in your life, I would say, well, no, he's not. You know why I would say, no, he's not? Because he's not even in there. Right? So for some of us, our first step is this. You've got to put him in here. Your first step is to say, Lord, I need you. I'm a sinner. I have messed up. I know what you did on the cross for me and the entire world, and I accept your forgiveness. And what that does is you get into a great relationship with your Heavenly Father. And the Scripture says that He comes in and He invades your heart and He invades your life. So if you, if I was to say to you, and we sat down after lunch, and I said, is God number one priority in your life? And He's not even there, then the answer is no. So your decision will be today to say, okay, God, I need you in my life. And I, I, am, I have messed up. I have, I'm a sinner. I have made so many mistakes. I can't live up to what you have for me. But I accept what you did for me. And that was the forgiveness of everything I've done. And when that happens, he comes in here. Okay? And you have him there. And here's what happens when you become, we call it a believer, a newborn Christian. To, to church it up a little. Okay? Jesus is the most important thing in your life, isn't he? And we would say that Jesus encompasses our whole world. Because all of a sudden, when you become and Jesus invades your life, what do you do? You go to church all the time. You don't care when the doors open, you're there. You're reading your Bible. They tell you to read first, like John or whatever. You're like, I need more, right? I need more. So you begin to read more of the Bible. You can't get enough of the Bible. You, you hound the pastor. You start asking them questions. You start praying. You're trying to get it right. And Jesus invades your life and he invades your soul. And he's the number one priority. And there's nothing that's stopping it, is it? But here's what happens over a period of time when you become, and you begin walking with Jesus. It starts to fade. Reading your Bible is not that important if you miss one day. And it's okay not to show up to church one day. And it's okay, you know, not to do certain stuff and not to read and pray and do all that stuff. And all of a sudden what ends up happening is this little thing called work invades your life. And then all of a sudden there's different things that start to become priority in your life. And all of a sudden you got money. And all of a sudden, I got relationships. And then I have hobbies. And I have all these things that start to invade my life and invade my heart. And you know what happens? I'll tell you what happens. 
There's a bait and switch. This guy that was so your priority all of a sudden fades. And you know what comes to the forefront? What's important to you. Somehow, he's back here and you, you don't even realize it. And you can put anything in the center of your heart. But whatever's in the center of your heart is your priority. And so what I'm asking you, is God number one in your life? Does He have the forefront up and center here, or does something else have the center? Because if He's back here fading out, you know what that says? That your, your attention and your devotion in your heart is somewhere else. And God wants it back. He wants it back. He wants to be the center of your life. Now, are any of these things bad? No. But there's a, there's a problem when they become the forefront and the center of your life. Second question I want to ask you is this. Throw it up there, Luke, so I get it right. How often do you seek Him? How often do you seek Him? Because how often you seek Him is a direct correlation between what's in the middle here. How often do you seek, personally seek your heavenly Father? See, for some of us, we just think that if we, if we seek the Lord, that it's just kind of an afterthought. Oh, it's not really that big of a deal. Oh, I just forgot to spend time with Him. Oh my gosh. You know what is true? Busyness is the enemy of intimacy. And the more busy you are, the less intimate you are with your Heavenly Father. And what happens is, is we go throughout our whole week and we go, we're busy, 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 and we lose intimacy, intimacy, intimacy with our Heavenly Father. And we look back at our lives and go, what just happened? I put something else first in the forefront of my life, and God, you were second. And a personal seeking does not mean that you're going to seek God once a week. It means you're going to do it daily. Because if you start to seek God, here's what I can tell you that happens. If you start to seek God weekly, it'll become monthly. And then bi-monthly. And then yearly. And then here's what will happen. And this is what God does not like. You'll be in a situation and you don't have any intimacy with your Heavenly Father. And all of a sudden, your life comes crashing down. And you're like, God, help me! Help me, Lord! I'm in this massive trouble. I'm in this massive thing. Just help me get out of my despair. Get out of my, my, my pit here. Whatever I'm in, Lord. And you just cry out to Him when you need Him. And you don't cry out to Him and you don't talk to Him to cultivate a relationship. It's only when you need Him. And here's what I'll tell you this. God listens to you. Whether He answers you or not, it's up to Him. But He will listen. But you know what He wants? He wants you to have a personal relationship that is a daily relationship with Him. He wants your undivided attention and your undivided devotion. Third thing is this. Throw it up there, Luke. Are you obedient in every area of life? Are you obedient in every area of your life? Now, why do I say this? Because blessing comes from being obedient. Asa was obedient and peace was established. When he wasn't obedient, peace was gone. Now, here's what the Bible says. It says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. See, what we perceive it as, if you love me, then I get to pick and choose the commands that I get to, to, to uh, obey. Not the case. See, sometimes we think, and, and here's, I'm just going to say this, sometimes we believe 
that when the Bible talks about generosity, that we're generous with just some things and some of our possessions, but not every area, every area of our life. That we're just generous with some things. That's not what the Bible says. He says to be generous with everything that he has given you. And we think that we can pick and choose and what we want to obey. Let me tell you this. If you pick and choose what you want to obey, you're not following the Lord and what he wants for your life. And I can tell you this. If you're not obeying the complete commandments of the life, I can tell you this. There's blessing that will not be on your life. And if you want blessing, it happens when you're obedient. And the other thing is this. If you love God, you'll obey his commands. You know what the world is looking for? Authenticity. The world is looking for the real Jesus. And when they look at our lives and we don't line up with the word of God and we obey certain commands, you know what they say to us? You're fake. And why do I want to be part of a fake religion and a fake relationship? They want real people who really wholeheartedly love Jesus and show people Jesus. And so in order to do that, we must be obedient in all area of our lives, not pick and choosing what the Lord commands. And when we do that, people will see Jesus in our lives and it will resonate out. And they'll see the real, authentic Jesus. So when you have all this, these questions and all these questions I've talked about probably have resonated with you. They might have resonated, you might not. And you might think to yourself, and you're like, oh my gosh, I just, I've done this all wrong and I beat myself up. Don't beat yourself up. Because here's the good news. Here's the hope. God is a God of second chances and God is a God of transformation. And transformation is taking something that was old and messed up and rugged and down and God makes it new. And God, that, that heart that might be divided and might be somewhere completely off base and, and attention somewhere else, guess what? God wants to take your heart and he wants to make it brand new. And he wants you to have your attention and capture everything about your life. He wants a solid relationship with you. And the good news is and the hope is is that, that that's what Jesus has done for all of us. See, devotion kind of determines your direction. And really, devotion can ultimately lead you to a greater destination. It can lead you to a greater destination. And what I mean by that is, is if when you begin to be fully committed to God, and He's the center of your life, and nothing else has your attention, and nothing else has your devotion, you are going to be in a greater path than you could ever imagine. And you're going to end up in a greater destination than you could ever think. Because if you're not, if Jesus is not in the center of your life, you know what you're settling for? Seconds. Who wants second best for their life? I don't know anyone who gets married and say, man, I hope I have the second best marriage in my life. I hope I have the second best job in my life. Nobody says that, right? But somehow when it comes to God, it's like if we're not fully committed to Him, then we choose the second best. Don't choose second best. You don't choose it in any area of your life. Don't choose it for your relationship with God. He's got so much in store for you. Because go I, God delights in a heart that is fully committed to you. Fully committed to Him. And if that's you, I just want to pray for you and I want God to touch you. Because I'm telling you this, I haven't arrived either. 
if we're going to be honest, there are times where sometimes there's other things there. And I need to have a heart check as well as you do. So today, along with you, I want us to get to a place where God captures our heart and changes us as we walk out of this place. I want every one of us in here to have a heart fully committed to Him. Let's just pray. Lord, I just thank you, first and foremost, that you loved us so much. It says you loved the world so much that you sent Jesus to die, to make right what was wrong. And Lord, I don't know where some of us stand here today, but here's what I do know. I do know that Jesus makes it right. I do know that you're a God of second chances and you're a God of transformation. So Lord, those of us in here, Lord, we would say that God, something else in our heart, there's something else that has our attention. Right now, Lord, for that individual in this room, would you just remove that and would you bring us to the front, bring yourself to the forefront of our hearts? God, would you just challenge us with that? And Lord, those of us who just go through life, Lord, and we're so busy and we're so busy, God, the enemy wants us to be busy. He wants us not to be able to spend time with you. Lord, would you help us to make you a priority and spend time with you? And God, would you show up and would you begin to nurture the things you want to nurture in our lives so that, Lord, we can be authentic followers of Jesus? And Lord, if we're just kind of picking and choosing, anyone in this room, if we're just kind of thinking, well, I can just do what I want and follow certain commands, Lord, would you just, Holy Spirit, touch our hearts today? And would you challenge us and would you transform us, myself included, Lord? Lord, would you help us to have hearts that are fully committed to you? Let nothing have our attention, let nothing have our devotion, but only you. So I release the Holy Spirit to work as only he can work. And I release you to work on our hearts and our minds as we walk out of this room that we be different today, following and serving a God who's going to get us to a greater place as he unfolds his plans before us. Thank you for who you are. And we pray you this in Jesus' name. Amen.